of man's first disobedience and the fruit of that forbidden tree whose mortal taste brought death into the world and all our woe with loss of Eden till one greater man restore us and regain the blissful seat that shepherd who first taught the chosen seed in the beginning how the heavens and earth rose out of chaos morning, guys. How are you? Y'all doing well? It's good to see you. Hey, all right, so let's go back to this. If I was to ask you, if you want to take a shortcut, you're going to say yes, right? Who doesn't like a shortcut? Now, um, this happens sometimes with me, not all the time, but occasionally I will be a little impatient when I'm driving. Um, anybody else here want to admit that about themselves? Okay, yeah. Anybody want to admit that by some, about somebody that they're sitting next to maybe, right? There's somebody here. I'm not really a guy that's a pet peeve type person, but most of my spiritual growth needs to happen in the car. And I know my wife is nodding her head somewhere right now. Like, I don't have a, a ton of pet peeves, but some in the car, um, she'll get on me about this all the time. Like, she'll say, wait, you're getting so impatient when you're driving. Why are you upset with these people, these other drivers? And she'll ask me, why does this bother you? And I'll say, because... Somebody driving in the left lane below the speed limit with a line of cars 13 deep behind them and won't move over, that should bother all of us. Somebody say amen, please. Okay, right, okay. Yes, like I have all of my growth that just come with, with driving. That's why it's really good that I have a LifeBridge sticker on the back of my car. It's accountability for me, accountability for patience. Now, if we're going to go on a road trip, and I put the address into Google Maps and the, the estimated time pops up, pops up on my screen. You know what, what that is? Like when it says, here's your estimated time of arrival. You know what my response to that is? Challenge accepted. Yes. Game on. I'm going to beat that time right now. It's a game. And I'm going to do anything that I can to beat Google Maps. If I can find a shortcut, you better believe it. Even if, even if it's not a real shortcut, Kelly will look at the map and say, Google says that doesn't even exist. And I'll say, it's because they're trying to beat me. Don't listen to Google Maps. We're going to beat this. So I'm going to take a shortcut but sometimes the shortcut turns out to be a dead end, right? That's, that's the worst. That is the absolute worst. You have to backtrack. You're losing even more time. Well done, Google Maps. You won this one, but I'm gonna get you next time. Shortcuts are great until they're not, until they're not. You're offered shortcuts and they're not just physical roads to get you to another destination fast. You and I are offered different shortcuts every single day and they're meant to get you to a different type of destination faster. Here's what I mean. The last two weeks, we've unpacked two big things that happened in Genesis chapter three. One is a lie to you. The other is an accusation about you. So Genesis three, Satan introduces this question that, that wasn't really a question. It was a statement. He says, did God really say, did, did God really say and he doesn't care about the question. He's not asking a question that he wants an answer to. He's making a statement. What he's saying to you and I is that God, whatever God says, can't be trusted. That's the lie. That's why today and throughout history, God's word has been attacked and criticized and scrutinized and dismissed because Satan knows that he can't overpower God's word. 
He can't disprove it. The only thing he can do is to try to get you to be indifferent to it and dismiss it. That's his tactic. If he can get you to be indifferent and dismissive of God's word, then he knows that you will also buy into the accusation. He says, you can be like God. The accusation that's underneath that is that you're not enough. You hear that every single day. Man and woman are both created in the image of God. Every single human life is created to be an image bearer of God. That's why all human life has such intrinsic values. And when God created Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2, he said, this is awesome. He looked at all of his creation. This is when it was perfect. There was no brokenness in the world at all. He looks at all of his creation and says, this is good. The only thing he says this is very good about is man and woman. So when Satan says, you can be like God, what he's saying is that you're missing out. You could have more. You could be like God. You're not enough. That's the accusation. And you're hit with that accusation every single day, aren't you? Whether it's in your head, you hear it in your head, or you hear it from advertising, or you hear it from comparison on social media, or you hear it by somebody that implying that to you. Every single day, you're going to be presented with the lie and the accusation. Did God really say, and you're not enough? So the third piece to this puzzle, what caps it all off, is that Satan offers you and I a shortcut. He says, you can't trust what God says. He's the one that's holding you back. Like you can have more. You can decide what's right or wrong. You can decide what truth is for you. You can decide what's best for you. You can be your own God. Just take a bite of this fruit. Yeah, the fruit that God said not to, not to eat. Yeah, yeah, just take a quick bite of this because this is actually what will make you enough. And that convinced Eve. Genesis 3, 6 says the woman was convinced. She was convinced that Satan was right. She was convinced by the accusation that she wasn't enough. Have you ever been there before? You felt that way? Like you're just not satisfied, like you're missing out on something? And then she was convinced that what she was being offered was going to do the trick, that that would make her enough. The woman was convinced she saw the tree was beautiful and its fruit looked delicious. And she wanted the wisdom that it would give her. So she took some of the fruit and ate it. Then she gave some of it to her husband who was with her. And he ate it too. So Eve listened to the lie. She believed the accusation about her. And then she gave in to the temptation because she believed that would make her enough. That that would satisfy her. And we've all given into temptation. All of us have. You have, I have, everybody has. And if you're saying right now, actually, Matt, I really don't give into temptation. You just gave into the temptation to lie. Like the playing field is even. We all have. And temptation is always attractive. It's always something attractive. You're not going to be tempted by something that you're repulsed by, that you want nothing to do with, or doesn't offer to enhance your life in any way, shape, or form. Temptation always looks good. It always feels good. And it always promises an enhanced view, promises something better about yourself. But it's actually the opposite. It's the opposite. Temptation never frees you. It only enslaves you. Like that's what happens. It happens over and over and over again. It will do nothing but enslave you. I mean, just look at Adam and Eve. God says, hey, this one tree over here, the tree of knowledge of good and evil, this is the only tree I don't want you to eat the fruit from. Everything else, fair game. This tree, if you eat from it, you're gonna die. They eat from that tree, and what happens? 
They died. Adam and Eve are dead. They're, they're not here anymore. Like that happened. They were enslaved to that consequence because they gave into that temptation. You and I still feel the sting of that. Last time I checked, the mortality rate for humans, it's 100%. It's because they believed an accusation, they listened to a lie, and they gave into a temptation. Now we're stuck with a consequence. That's what temptation always does. It does not give you something better. It only enslaves you to consequences. Now, let's be clear on this. You and I, everybody here, everybody in the world is going to be presented with temptation every single day. All different kinds in all different ways. Temptation itself is not wrong. Temptation is not what's sinful. It's what you do with it that matters. That's the game changer. Jesus was actually tempted in every way that you and I can be also. I mean, listen to this. This is Matthew 4, if you want to flip your Bibles there. This is right after Jesus is baptized. It says this. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted there by the devil. For, day, for 40 days and nights, he fasted and became hungry. And during that time, the devil came to him and said, Hey, if you're the Son of God... He's questioning God. He's questioning Jesus' identity, just like he did with Eve. If you're the son of God, tell those stones to become loaves of bread. But Jesus told him, oh, the scripture says that people do not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. Satan says, does God really say? You can't trust what God says. Jesus just said right here, we all live by the power of God's word. Those are two contradicting statements. Which one's right? One's true, one's false. Then the devil took him to the holy city, Jerusalem, to the highest point on the temple and said, hey, if you're the son of God, jump off. Why not? For the scriptures say he will order his angels to protect you and they will hold you up with their hands so that you won't be hurt even your foot on a stone. But Jesus responded, the scriptures also say, you must not test the Lord your God. Next, the devil took him to a high peak on a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. He said, I will give it all to you if you kneel down and worship me. Get out of here, Satan. I love that. That's pretty awesome, isn't it? Get out of here, Satan, Jesus told him. For the scriptures say, you must worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil went away. Two stories, similar parts, two very different outcomes. Know this, know this. Satan is entirely predictable and that he will play the same three cards against you. All of temptation falls into one of three categories. In fact, 1 John actually describes it. It says this, for the world offers only a craving for physical pleasure, a craving for everything we see, and pride in our achievements and our possessions. Those are the three categories of temptation right there. If you've got a different Bible translation or, or background in church, maybe you've heard it referred to as this, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life. That's it right there. Things that make you feel good, things that you want, and then things that enhance your view of yourself. All of temptation falls into those three categories. And Satan came after Eve and Jesus with all three. Eve saw the bread, she wanted it, it looked great. Looked delicious. Jesus was tempted with bread in the desert. Both things would make them feel good. Eve saw how beautiful the tree was and she wanted it. Jesus was tempted with all of the kingdoms of the world, stuff that we would want. 
Eve saw how much the tree would make her wise. She wanted the wisdom. Jesus was tempted to use his power to show off at the temple things that would enhance their view of themselves. That's where all of temptation comes in those three categories. Things that make you feel good, things that you want, and things that will enhance your view of yourself. So we gotta open our eyes. Because all of this is happening today. It's the same stuff happening today as it did in Genesis 3, as it did in Matthew 4. The same stuff is happening today. So we got to be able to recognize it so we know what to do and what not to do. We got to be able to just have a talk about temptation. Like I know that's not an exciting thing to talk about, but let's do it. Let's talk about it so we know what it is and we know how to recognize it. First thing, all of temptation is meant to reinforce the accusation against you and distract you from the lie. You're not enough, but you will be if you do this. Did God really say, but actually don't answer that yet. Actually, just ignore that question for a second and look over here at this really shiny, pretty thing. Doesn't this look awesome? Don't you want this? I mean, that's what happened with Eve. She'd been around that tree how many times? She had seen the fruit before and never thought twice about eating it. So why does it look so good to her right now? It's because she was lied to and she was accused. That's what temptation does. It tries, it tries to get you off your game. It's meant to distract you and then derail you from God's purpose for you, from his goodness. That's what happened to Adam and Eve. That's what happens to you and I every single day. That was the intention with Jesus. All of the temptation that Jesus faced in the wilderness was meant for him to go ahead and grab the crown without enduring the cross. That was the whole point. Satan was trying to get Jesus to avoid his purpose, which was the cross. And he was trying to distract him with cheap substitutes for the crown. That's what will happen to you every day. You will be offered things that will try to distract you from living God's way, to distract you from knowing his purpose for you. And they'll all be cheap substitutes. You will be tempted to grab a hold of the crown and avoid the cross every day. First and foremost, you're going to be tempted to avoid the cross when it comes to forgiveness. Scripture promises over and over and over again that when we screw up, that when we fall into temptation, when we fall into sin, that if we run to Jesus, if we go to the cross, there's forgiveness every single time. It doesn't matter what it is. But the world will tell you over and over again that you're too bad, you're damaged goods now. That there's no forgiveness for you because of that. These things over here, yeah, you could be forgiven for that, but this, no, not you. It's a lie. There's nothing that's not forgivable. If, if your sin could not be covered by the cross, then the cross isn't powerful enough or you have too high a view of yourself. It's one or the other. There's forgiveness at the cross, but you're gonna be tempted to avoid it. You're also gonna be tempted to avoid picking up your cross. Every single day, you have a choice, so do I. I have a choice every day. Do I wanna follow Jesus or do I wanna follow Matt? It's a choice. Can I die to my own selfish preferences? Can I die to my sin? Can I die to what I want and follow Jesus? Which is far better, but I'm tempted to go my way. Temptation will promise you shortcuts, but it will only deliver dead ends. And the reason why they're dead ends is because they reinforce the accusation. You can be like God. Remember that right now the narrative in our world is that you can decide what's right or wrong. You can decide what truth is for you. You can decide what's best. You can decide what's fitting. You can be your own God. That's the narrative that's presented to you every single day in our world. And I just gotta ask, how's that working out? 
Like all I see is more division, more tension, more pain, more heartache. We keep getting worse and going in the wrong direction, whether we realize it or not. Even if we're just being distracted, hey, things are getting better. No, they're not. It's getting worse because we keep going our way. So maybe there's a better way. And I'm not trying to be argumentative or sarcastic, but just maybe God's way is best. Like maybe what he designed and created all the way back in Genesis 1 and 2 is actually the way for all of us to thrive and flourish. Maybe he was right, but we keep choosing our way. We keep choosing choosing to go this way and say, oh no, I'll figure it out. I'll decide what's best. I'll decide what's right or wrong. I'll decide what's truth because I can be my own God. It's not getting us anywhere. So maybe the way we go forward is actually to go back. Go back to Genesis 1 and 2. Go back to God's design. Go back to his way. But every single temptation you face is meant to keep you from experiencing him. It's meant to keep you from enjoying a life with him. It's meant to keep you from having a life to the full like Jesus promised in John 10. It's meant to deny you a life that has joy and purpose and redemption and meaning. Every single temptation you face is a tool to distract you from God's way and it does it by offering you cheap substitutes that only end up in dead ends. And almost all of the temptation that you and I face, almost all of it, not all, will be good things. You will be tempted by good things that are just twisted and misused. Let me give you a couple examples. Some obvious ones that people like to talk about a lot. How about sex? It's usually one of the first things that we think about when we think temptation. So some people have gone as far as just vilifying sex and saying that we should avoid it altogether. No. Do you know who created and designed sex? God did. Yeah, you don't have to be hesitant saying that, it's okay. Yeah, God did. It was his idea. Thank you, God, that was a great idea. It's his idea. It wasn't like when God created Adam and Eve in Genesis 1 and 2, remember that was during perfection, he didn't create them and then walk away and go get a sandwich and then we came back, he was like, oh no, stop, you two stop right now. That's, don't touch her like that, that's not what happened. Come on, that's a little funny at least, right? Don't leave me hanging, it's getting awkward now. I feel really alone right now. That's not what happened though. Everything that was created happened in Genesis 1 and 2, and that was perfection. Sex was created and designed in Genesis 1 and 2. God said, all of my creation is good. That means sex is good. This is when you can say amen now, okay? Amen. But what happens when sex is used as a temptation, it's taking something that's good, that God designed, designed to be awesome in a certain context, and it's twisting it ever so slightly. Sex was meant to be enjoyed in the context of a covenantal marriage between a man and a woman, and anything outside of that design brings pain. And I know that is an incredibly unpopular message today. You might fundamentally disagree with me on this. That might make you upset. I get it. That's okay. That's okay. We can talk about it. But just, just a second and think about this. When it comes to sex in our world, there is a whole lot of pain, baggage, and abuse. As a pastor, I get a really unique perspective on this because I get to talk with a lot of different people and hear their stories. And I hear more pain, 
I hear more baggage, I hear more abuse. It only increases. That's what happens when you take something that's designed to be awesome by God in a certain context and you twist it. You take it outside of that context. It's just like a fire. Fire in a fire pit is awesome. I enjoyed a fire at my fire pit last night. It's awesome. But once fire gets outside of the fire pit, what happens? Burn stuff down, right? Temptation is the exact same way, all temptation, the exact same way. It promises a great fire, promises a great fire. But whether we realize it or not, all it does is just let the fire out of the fire pit to burn stuff down. What about money? Nothing inherently wrong with money at all, not at all. But the temptation is to love money and rely on it because what we're promised is that money will solve all problems or make us secure or make us comfortable. But 1 Timothy 6.10 actually says the love of money, not money itself, but the love of money is the root of all kinds of evil. So you take two good things, money, there's no problem with money, and you take love, hello, that's awesome. Those two things were never meant to mix together. When you love money, then it's all kinds of evil are just opened up. Or what about alcohol? That's an, that's an easy one to talk about. There's nothing wrong with alcohol. Jesus' first miracle was turning wine, water into wine at a wedding reception. They ran out of wine, so Jesus took care of the problem. It's a great person to have at your wedding. And we're, we're talking the good stuff, not the cheap boxed wine stuff. We're talking the wine that, like, you go to the restaurant, you see that on the wine list, and you're like, that looks good. Wish I could afford that. That's what Jesus did. There's nothing wrong with alcohol, but what we're tempted to do is completely misuse it. The temptation and the promises, you know what, if you use this alcohol, man, you're, you're going to forget. You're going to escape. You're going to feel so much better. The temptation is to let alcohol twist you. Temptation is taking a good thing and twisting it to make it a God thing. You can be like God if you do this. I mean, even food. What's wrong with food? I mean, Jesus was hungry. The dude's been in the desert for 40 days without a meal. He's hungry. Give him some bread. What's wrong with that? That seems pretty innocent. Well, the temptation for bread really wasn't about the bread. What Satan was trying to do was trying to get Jesus to use his power to serve himself. It's the opposite of what Jesus was called to do. And if you're a Christ follower, that's the opposite of how you're called to live. You have certain gifts and strengths. You do. Everybody does. Satan has no problem with you using your gifts and strengths as long as you use them for yourself. You got the gift of making money. We talked about money as a temptation. You got the gift of making money. Awesome. Make as much money as you possibly can as long as you keep it for yourself. As long as you use it to buy power or influence. You got the gift of leadership? Cool. We need leaders. Be a leader. Lead people as long as you lead them to yourself, as long as you're building your own platform. You got the gift of teaching? Fantastic. We need teachers. Teach people God's word. Teach people the truth. Teach our kids. Be a teacher. That's awesome. Use that gift as long as you're using it to get your own praise, as long as you're doing it for this. God has given you certain gifts and strengths and whether we realize it or not, in fact, I think this one, this one's tricky. Satan will take things that God has given you, great things that God has given you, and he will get you to use them in a way that they were never intended to be used. 
Your gifts and strengths are meant to glorify God, to point people to Jesus and to serve them. They're never meant to be used for yourself. But what Satan will do is he'll say, yeah, use those things. Man, God gifted you in this way. He gifted you in that. You have this strength. That's awesome. Use it. Just use it for yourself. Take a bite of this fruit. It's grabbing the crown while avoiding the cross. So whatever it is that you're tempted with, we gotta be able to call it out and recognize it so we know what to do, so we, we can respond like Jesus and not fall like Eve. First thing is, we gotta recognize how we're tempted. This past week was a week that was full of temptation for me. Some in a different way that I didn't realize before. Uh, this week I had a couple people take some shots at me and then I found out about some gossip and slander that was going on about me behind my back. Wasn't fair at all, completely petty. Still didn't feel good. And it made me mad. I was mad. There's nothing wrong with being angry about it. Not at all. But what I wanted to do was lash out my anger. In my head, I was hearing this. Put them in their place. If they want to dish it out, dish it right back. You can make them look silly. What I was tempted to do was use my anger to make myself feel better. And it would have felt really good. It would have felt, it would have felt really good. But all I would have been doing was taking anger, which is a natural emotion for all of us. There's nothing wrong with anger. It's a natural emotion. And I would have used it to make me feel better by doing the exact same thing that was done to me instead of turning the other cheek, which I'm pretty sure I've heard somebody say that before. And I was, just, I was just discouraged this week, so I wanted to feel good. It would have felt really, really good. It would have felt justified, too. It would have felt justified to lash out my anger. Now, I know, like, I, I know what God's word says. I know how many promises there are that if we run to God when, when times like this, there's refuge and rest in him, that that's what we do is we go to him. I know that. But the problem was I wanted to make myself feel better by ignoring that and just using my anger against them. But Jesus was tempted in the same way. He's hungry, hadn't eaten in 40 days. And because he was hungry, he was vulnerable. So this is a good question to have in the back of your mind at all times. Not just physical hunger, but what are you hungry for? What do you feel like you need because when you're hungry, you can be more vulnerable. When you're going through stuff, when you're just going through it, times aren't good. When you're stressed out, when you're experiencing pain, when stuff happens to you that's unfair, and when you just wanna feel good, at that moment, you are very vulnerable to temptation. Jesus also was alone and isolated. When you're alone, I'm gonna to continue to beat on this drum, that nothing good happens when you're alone and isolated. But when you're alone and isolated, you're even more vulnerable to temptation is gonna come. Know that, be ready for it. Or when you're bored, it can come calling too, especially for guys. Let me talk to the guys just for a second. Do you know what I, I think? I, th I think one of the most dangerous things in the world is a bored man. Seriously, like I think a bored man is a very dangerous thing. Nothing good happens when men are bored. Just look at Adam. Like Adam is standing here during this entire temptation. He's standing right there the whole time. 
Why wasn't Adam at work? Like, yeah, like, why wasn't he work? In Genesis 1 and 2, God created work, and it was good and perfect at that point. It was fulfilling. He gave Eve a job. He gave Adam a job, and he said, hey, go work the fields. Go work the earth. And it was awesome. I don't know. This might have been Eve's day off, but what was Adam doing? He's not working. He's bored. Nothing good happens when you're bored. Like, whatever, whatever it is that you're tempted by, you've got to recognize it, call it out, because when you name what you're tempted by, it will remove some of the strength. It might not dismiss it altogether or get rid of it, but when you name what you're tempted by, it will remove some of the strength from that temptation. It will. So this past week, with all the stuff that I felt tempted by, I mean, it was intense. I talked about it with some of the guys in my group. We were, we were at my house on Wednesday night. We're sitting around my kitchen table and I just told them what was going on. And that gave me some great perspective, great encouragement. One of the guys in my group actually texted me later on and said, hey, what do you think God's trying to teach you in this? I was like, don't ask me that question. I don't want to, like, that's what Kelly says to me all the time. Like, and I thought about it. I went to sleep that night and I woke up the next morning. I texted him back and I said, I know exactly what he was teaching me. Thanks for asking me that question. He was teaching me that when I'm discouraged, one of the things that I'm most tempted by is to lash out in anger. I didn't know that about me. It was a temptation and then I started doing the the thing that makes you feel awful. And I started looking back on all different parts of my life. Like when I got discouraged about something, like, well, I fell there. Yeah, there was that temptation to lash out in anger. Missed again, missed again, missed again. Hey, I got it right. Missed again, missed again. I didn't know it. I didn't know I was vulnerable to that until somebody pointed it out. Talk to people about what you're tempted by. Call it out. Don't be afraid about it. Let's just be real because when I was talking to those guys, man, it just gave me breath. It was just one of those like, man, I feel a little bit better right now. And it took some of the, took some of the strength out of the temptation recognize what you're tempted by, recognize how you're vulnerable because all of us are different. All of us are wired different. You're gonna be tempted with different things than I might. You're gonna be vulnerable in different spots than I will. But you gotta recognize it for yourself and sometimes an outside voice can point those things out to you. Know what you're tempted by. Don't put yourself in a spot where you're vulnerable. I mean, there's two different kinds. Like there's uncontrollable temptation. That's when things come at you that it's not your not under your control. Like you're gonna be tempted by things that you have no control over. They're just gonna be put in front of you. That's gonna happen. That's what happened to Jesus in the wilderness. But then there's also unnecessary temptation. That's when you put yourself in a spot or a place where you're gonna be tempted, but it could have been avoided altogether. I mean, just going back to some of those examples. If you're tempted by alcohol, don't go to a brewery with some friends. If you're tempted to gossip, Stop hanging out with that person that makes it really easy to jump into gossip. Lust. Lust is one that gets talked about a lot. Guys, do you know which, which men are the ones that struggle with lust and are tempted by lust? The ones that have a pulse. You guys were a little slower than the nine o'clock with that one. All right. But seriously, you, we're all tempted by that. That's on the table for everyone. So don't put yourself in a spot where you can easily, easily give into it with just clicking one click on your phone. Recognize what you're tempted by. Call it out. Talk with other people about it. And don't put yourself in a spot where you can get in because every day you're going to hear, did God really say? Did God really say that isn't good? Did God really say not to do that? Ah, I think you can't trust that. By the way, I'm here to tell you the truth. 
You can be like God because you're not enough. And then temptation will be brought to you as the means to make you enough, to make you feel better. But all that is is a shortcut that leads to a dead end. It's an invitation to sin. Sin only will deny you and divide you and derail you from God's goodness and what God is calling you to. That's what Satan was trying to do to Jesus in Matthew 4. But the good news is he didn't fall into it. The good news for us is he didn't fall into it. Listen to this. This is Hebrews 4, verse 15. For we do not have a high priest. He's talking about Jesus. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but one who in every respect, every respect, has been tempted as we are, yet without sin. That's great news. Let us then, because of that, with confidence, draw near to the throne of grace, that we may receive mercy and find grace to help in the time of need. So whatever you're going through, whatever you're being tempted by, whatever you're being confronted with, right now Jesus is saying to you, I know how that feels. Oh man, I know how that feels. I know how hard that is. I know what you're going through. But don't listen to the lie. It's not true. Don't believe the accusation about you. Believe what I say about you. Don't give in to the temptation. There's something that is so much better Just follow me. Just follow me. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness. Thank you that we can come to your throne, that we can ask for grace, that we can ask for help when we need it, because a lot of times we don't even know it. And sometimes it's so easy to, with, with shame or guilt that we can't, we, I can't go talk to, I can't go talk to God about this. I can't ask for help or mercy. This is stupid that, I, that I'm struggling with this. I should be able to conquer this on my own. God, let, let, let's get rid of that lie. Take that thinking out of our heads. Let us run to you when we need help, when we need grace, when we need mercy. You promise that it's there every single time for us. Father, I pray that you would help us recognize each individual in here because we're all different. Let us recognize how we're tempted, where we're vulnerable. Give us the courage to walk away from it, to believe what you say, which is the truth, not the lie. Let us believe what you say about us, not the accusation. And let us see temptation in our lives for what it is, cheap substitutes for what you're offering us. God, let us see it. We love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.